Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Luke 15, 11 through 32, the parable of the prodigal son. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took, it, took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, but because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Carson, for reading my assumptions on this morning, particularly with that passage. My assumptions are that you have an appreciation for that story, most likely. Most of you have heard that story before, and I'm also guessing that you understand and can appreciate like pretty quickly what's going on, the heart of God in this as the prodigal leaves, and the father waits, and the prodigal returns, and the father welcomes, and the older brother is angry, and the father goes out to him. I think it's one of the most profound stories. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know that there's another story that Jesus has told that has more impact on my life than that one. And I'm, I'm guessing that maybe, for many of you, this may be your favorite story that Jesus told. Is there anything, is there anything new to add? My guess is probably not. 
But is there any way that we could see this in a fresh way and something strike us in a new way? I'm almost positive that can happen today. I'm positive that that the Lord can speak. And one of the things that I thought about in studying this passage, which I know is going to be very familiar, is maybe an analogy helps here. You can put filters on, on cameras and filters on pictures so that it draws out certain aspects. It draws out a certain aspect of color or some other lighting or some other contrast. And there's a dimension that changes. And by, by changing that filter, something happens. By changing that filter, you begin to see some things differently, even though you've been staring at it. So I think we, we might know the story. It might be very familiar to us, but there might be some fresh things that we can see just by changing the filter. And the filter I want to use today, I, I want to call it a, a counterfactual filter. Counterfactual, which just means it's a claim or a question that goes contrary to a fact. Counter a fact. So it's a little bit, I understand it's a, not quite the exact definition because this is a story Jesus told and he's told, although the fact that Jesus told the story is a fact, this is a fictional story. But I, I think by just changing some of the dynamics of the story, asking some what if questions, what if this had not happened? What if this wasn't the case? I think by throwing that filter on each dimension of the story, I think we're going to see some things in a pretty fresh way. At least I hope we do. So remember the background before we begin to ask the what if, what if this story had been told differently? Remember the background. There's a pretty wide audience that Jesus has and it it grows and and there are lots of people that are around Jesus. People are coming to Jesus. And it seemed like whenever there were large crowds of people coming to Jesus, there were also people complaining about people coming to Jesus, not wanting that, not appreciating who Jesus began to attract. And so Jesus tells a story here. He tells a story of two sons. He says in verse 12, this story, the younger of the sons said to his father, father, give me, which Definitely in that culture, probably not in any culture is that acceptable to just kind of make demands of a father, but certainly not in that culture. Give me the share of property that is coming to me. So the idea is, dad, in my mind, you might as well be dead because all I want is what you have. Give it to me now. So again, I want us to throw a filter on some of this story. And the first question, kind of counterfactual question I want us to ask is, what if the younger brother had appreciated the father's love. And what if this younger brother had never left? What if he had appreciated the father's love and what if he had never left? What if he stayed? What if he flourished in the father's house? What if life was peaceful because he knew, I have a father who demonstrates regularly how much he is out for my good. What if that was the story? But what we know is that's, That's actually not the story. The younger brother does leave in the story in verse 13. It says, and and I hope you have your Bibles with you. Not many days later in verse 13, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. There's some appeal for him in leaving. He wanted more. He thought he could get more. For him, what he wanted to do and who he wanted to be was greater than what he thought of the father's love for him. As I read this story, it's almost like, and this just hit me as I was reading the story this week, it's almost as if he he leaves and there's like no even speed bump as he's going out the door. It's just, 
He says what he wants, he gets what he wants, and he takes off. It's almost as if there's no logic, only emotions rule, and he's oblivious in some ways. Maybe I see this more as a parent. He, he's oblivious to how much pain he is going to cause his family. How many restless nights there are going to be because of decisions like this. In real life, clearly, these things happen. You feel like you're not getting everything you want, you need, you deserve, or you could have. So you need to explore, you need to find yourself, you need to find your way, you need to not settle. It's often pretty self-serving. I don't really care about everybody else. What I care about is me. If I'm not happy, I don't really mind torching every relationship I've had and hurting everybody around me. I'm going to get what I want to get. Does it have to go that way, though? Do we have to flex our self-dependence, our autonomy? Whatever walking away looks like in your mind, you have to realize that it is first walking out on a God who loves you and has demonstrated that love to you before you walk away, before you decide like, yeah, I'm just not, I'm just kind of not wanting to do this anymore. Before you do that, have you done any hard work pursuing hard questions? And have you done it like with other people? Have you done the hard work of relationships? And have you, are you willing to see things from a different perspective? It's like, no, I really am not. My mind's made up. I'm going to walk out. I, I, the question is like, what, what if this were different What if the younger brother never blew everything up? What would be sad is after reading the story, you choose to blow up your own world and everyone else's simply because you choose to ignore the signals that God is sending you that he deeply loves you. Do you know? Do you know that you don't have to leave to appreciate that the Father loves you? You don't have to leave and and be estranged from your heavenly father to appreciate his love. I know that because I didn't have to be estranged from my own dad, my own earthly dad, to know that he loves me. I didn't have to go through that. And, And I don't know who's listening today, but maybe you just need to hear, like, you don't have to walk that path to know your father loves you. What you do need to do is regularly, what I need to do is regularly remind myself that God is for me. He's not against me. He loves me and is committed to 100% what is best for me, even when it's tempting to think, yeah, I think there's a better story that I'd actually like to, like to live in a better story than what I have. It, and I might be missing out on something. So thanks for the love, God, but I think I'm going to do things my own way. You don't have to make that decision. You don't have to walk down that path. What if? Those are the questions we're asking. Let's keep reading the story. The story says, actually, he does leave, and he spends everything. And it says in verse 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Which makes me ask another question. That question is, what if the world actually had been satisfying enough? So again, this is like looking at it through a very different filter, but what if the younger son leaves, and what if the world had been totally satisfying? What if he could just keep on living a life of sexual sin? What if he could keep on living a life of selfishness and recklessness? And what if he could do that because there's actually zero negative consequences? What if that's the way it worked? What if he found himself so completely happy, completely satisfied, 
that he looked at his life and said, I couldn't ask for anything more. This is exactly what I want. What if it worked out like that? But the facts are, it never, it never works out like that. It never does. That's not how it goes. The harsh reality that the story represents is that the world that he envisioned and maybe had dreamed of and pursued, the world that he had like even written off his family and blown up relationships for, it massively overpromised and then devastatingly underdelivered. Not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered everything that he had and he took a journey into a far country and he just squandered, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to this, one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the, his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. See, what you see is like this massive freefall. The Bible's just telling us this is the way this story goes. It may not be the way Hollywood would tell it. It may not be the way it seems like on Instagram, but this is the way the story goes. It's like a total freefall. Their relational ties are cut. He left and he goes to a far country, so all the benefits and privileges and advantages and resources that he would have had with his father, they're all cut off. And then there's this unpredictable circumstance, and there always are, right? You never can anticipate everything. And so a famine hits the land, which, oh, I didn't account for that. And then it says he began to be in need, those first signs. And then he has to assume responsibility. Like all his friends that were ready to party now are not so ready to party. They all leave. And he begins to have to network to get a job that is like at the bottom, feeding pigs for a Jewish economy. This is like the last thing that he would ever want to do, and yet he has to network, find somebody who can help him get a job doing that. And every time his stomach growls, it says he's hungry. Every time that happens, it's a reminder of, you left it all. You blew it all up for this. In real life, this is the way the story goes. What promises freedom? Regularly enslaves this is the way the story goes. When what you think will make you like really, really happy comes with this crazy high price tag. What you think you can control, you actually can't. What you think will actually be your preferred identity doesn't ever really help fulfill you. What you think will set you apart actually just humiliates you in the end. And the crowd moves on because you're no longer that interesting to them. This is the way it goes. You can tell yourself because like we've all had people, we've all had friends, or maybe we've even been that person that tells himself, you know what, I'm just going to check out or I'm just going to leave him or I'm just going to ditch her and actually then everything will be so much better. But sin always complicates things. You think you can choose your own reality, but there aren't guarantees there either. What will help you more clearly see that the things that promise a whole lot in the echo chamber of your brain seem to make total sense. But like, you just walk one step down that path and you realize, that isn't what I expected. What's going to help you? What's going to help you there? Who in your life shoots straight enough to you that's going to tell you, yeah, don't do that? And, and will you listen to them when they tell you that? Don't, don't go down that road. 
What if the world had been satisfying enough? But it wasn't, so what comes next? The story says in verse 17, when he came to himself or when he came to his senses, he said, I'm going to arise and go to my father. And the question I want to ask there is, what if he had actually been too proud or felt too guilty to ever go back home? What if he were too proud or felt too guilty to go back home? It's a very different picture if his sins and, and his stubbornness and the condition that he has doesn't change. He's isolated and simply out of pride, he says, I'm not going back. I don't want to do that. I won't do that. But that's not how the story goes, right? That's counterfactual because he actually did choose to go and he did humble himself. In verse 17, it says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants actually have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger, so I'm going to rise and go to my father. And he gets his speech ready. He's going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so just treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. There's just clear words of repentance, clear words of brokenness. I've sinned. I'm not worthy. No excuses here. And he's thinking about how good some people have it. And it's interesting, like the good life that he imagines is not the good life. Like I remember the good days when I was partying hard and everything was great. The good days that he remembers are the days that his father's servants have back at home. And he says, that is the good life. They never had to worry about anything. That's his memory. So he goes back home humbling himself. Does that happen in real life? It does. Too often, though, too often my heart will tell me, like, you shouldn't have to admit you're wrong. You shouldn't have to do that. There, there's nothing in me that enjoys that, right? Nothing in you that enjoys that as well. And yet, even though I don't want to ask for help, even though I don't want to ask for forgiveness, when you actually see someone humble themselves after a big mistake, I'll tell you, I don't know that I... I see anything quite like that that takes that kind of courage. You see someone who has recognizing their part that they've contributed to a failed marriage. And they own it. And there's no caveats. There's no disclaimers. There's no even 50-50. They own it. You see the person that admits, like, I understand that my wandering and my decisions hurt people. And I'm so sorry for that. When someone owns it so clearly, like, I don't know that there's anything quite like that. It just feels almost as you hear them, they, a huge weight is lifted or this, there's this boulder in the middle of the road and it's just moved out of the way. There's something about that that seems so amazing. When it's done right, when someone's really ready to receive correction and listen and do the real work of changing, not just like, well, I'm sorry if you had a problem with it or I'm sorry you, you were bothered by that. But there was this and that. No, no, no. None of that when someone just says, I've sinned and I'm sorry. And I realize I've caused the pain, although I may not know a fraction, but I'm sorry when someone owns that. What would be so sad to me is if my pride kept me from acknowledging that I'd messed up when on the other side of it is so, so many good things. If I just, because I don't want to tell them I'm sorry. The relationship stayed broken. And I was entrenched in my own isolation and despair just because I cannot bring myself to say, you know what, I'm sorry, I didn't handle that right. I'm sorry because I did this. The beautiful part of the story is that 
He humbles himself and he leaves to go home and what awaits him, the story says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Another question, what if the father, instead of welcoming, chose to be stingy with his welcome? Again, I think we can appreciate the story so much and maybe we just get comfortable knowing, oh yeah, the father's like runs to him, has compassion. Of course he does. But what if it had gone a different way? What if it was a completely different picture? The father could handle this in a couple different ways. He could go, yeah, that's nice and all that you came back, but I, frankly, I don't want to ever see your face again. It could be complete rejection. I don't want you here. I don't want you back. There is no path here of reconciliation. There is no path of restoration. Or the father could have created distance. All right, you can come back. I'm going to do my fatherly duties. You can, you can be here, but don't ever think there's going to be anything like a relationship. You know, you mentioned being a slave. Why don't you just do that? But if I never see you, that's quite fine. You can come back. I'll take care of you. But, but don't ever think there's going to be... I mean, this story could have a lot of different dimensions. It could be, could be that the father chose to put the younger son into purgatory some sort of parole. Like, okay, you can come back. And there may be a relationship, but there's going to be a lot of conditions and time's going to tell. And maybe you just sit there and we'll see if your behavior has changed. And one mistake may be like, I'm done with you. But instead, maybe we haven't appreciated how full the welcome is. The father chooses to welcome. The relationship is restored. Of course, time will have to heal. But in the story, it says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced him, kissed him. The son said to him, the son had this speech like he'd probably rehearsed a million times. Like, and you know how it is when you've got that speech, that talk, and you're like taking a deep breath. Okay, here we go. Maybe it'll go okay. And he starts going through it like, yeah, I'm, I'm Father, I know I sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts and says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. And this is like right at the heart of even the presenting issue of this whole story in the first place was Jesus was welcoming sinners, welcoming tax collectors. And there were people that had a major problem with that. The religious crowd was so frustrated by that. Because it became hard for them to believe that the Father was really like that. And I want to ask you, do you believe that the Father welcomes you back? Welcomes you regularly? It'll change things if you do. If you believe it real deep down. I, I mean, we can sing how deep the Father's love for us. But I, I'm talking about like really feeling it and owning it. It will mean you are, you're not going to run and try to hide sin. Because you know if we confess our sins, it's not cheap grace. But He is... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know we have that welcome. Wouldn't that change the way we ask for forgiveness, the way we confess our sin? Wouldn't it change the way we prayed if we know the Father is just arms open wide, no scowl, no wagging a finger, arms open wide, running, ready to embrace us when we finally come to our senses? If we knew that, wouldn't it change the way we show grace to others? that record of wrongs we keep against other people. Like, they did that, they did that. Wouldn't it, wouldn't if we recognize, I, I don't know that anybody could do to me what I did to my Heavenly Father. Nobody pretends forgiveness is easy. 
But wouldn't that change that dynamic? What do you need to see? What do I need to see about the Father in a fresh way? Not just abstract, but personal, like for me, for you. Well, the story, let's keep reading verse 25. Now the older son was in the field, and he came, and he drew near to the house. He heard music dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. The servant said to him, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The older brother was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Here's another question that goes through my mind, and that is, what if the father... Yeah, what if the father cared about the prodigals coming home but didn't care about the older brothers? What if the father didn't care about the older brother? Let's face it, there's not a lot of fun in dealing with self-righteous older brothers. There's not a lot of reward in those discussions. It's much easier to go, you know what? Let's just let it be. If you have attitude like that, you can just like, I'm going to write you off. Because I'm, I'm kind of happy about my one son, so if you want to be that way, that's your problem. I don't, I'm not going to deal with that. But instead, instead the father goes, he deeply cares. The story takes an ugly but realistic turn with this older brother. And now the father is dealing with one son who had left, but here's another son who is moving further away from him because, because his older brother is keeping score. Did you notice that? Did you notice the narrative in the older brother in his head, in his heart. So this is what he says in verse 29. He answered his father, and here, listen to him keep score. Look, these many years I have slaved for you. I've served you. Let's just add him up, dad. Many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Keeping score. I, I, you never gave me a young goat. I mean, he gets... He gets the fattened calf. He gets the prized possession. And you've never even so much as given me one token of appreciation for the obedience so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him like his brother. When this son of yours, who I don't even want to claim, when, this, when he comes, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you throw a party, you kill the fattened calf for him. We hear a person obeying the rules but getting further and further away from the father. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? He's obeying the rules and he's getting further and further away from the heart of the Father. I never did this and you never did this. Why should it be my job? Tell me this, Dad. Why should it be my job? This is a, a person keeping score and that kind of talk never sounds great. And when you just kind of isolate it, the scorekeeper talk never sounds that great. When you hear someone keeping score, like, well, you know what? For three and a half years, I chaired the PTA. And for four and a half years, I, I ran the Little League. I was a treasurer for the Little League. I did the thankless job. And yet, look at, look at what happened. I was volunteer of the year. for No, it was five years in a row. And so, I mean, when you hear that kind of stuff, and we all politely smile, because often the people that do that bring it up again and again and again and again. And you're like, okay, this obviously means a lot to you. You obviously know to the month how long you did whatever and, and good for you. I mean, it never, it never sounds good. It sounds a lot worse when it comes to things related to the Lord, things related to church. I mean, we, we can be honest, these, these kinds of things are set around church environments, aren't they? 
Like, you know, I was the chairman of the, you know, whatever, and I served the good Lord for, you know, how many years, and then, then they did this, and despite the fact that I did this and this and this, and I have all this knowledge, I'm just kind of surprised no one asked when I've done this and I've done this, and I used to, what? I mean, it just never, it never sounds good isolated. And maybe this is just a helpful thing to look in the mirror and go, am I this person which isn't, please don't hear me, it's not, it's not that I don't think there's a way to express disappointment and hurt. Certainly there is. Certainly there is. There, there is a way to do that. But I guess the question is, when we keep score, what end game are, are we playing here? What, what happens to you and others when you keep this record of your achievements? What what happens to the focus that's supposed to be on grace and the love of Jesus when you go... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to sing, like, God never lets go, but I actually would like to talk about myself a little bit more and all that. I mean, what do we hope comes out? What is the successful resolution? Do we want a plaque, a certificate? Do we want people to clap? How long do we want them to clap? I mean, what, what, what is the end game in those things when we keep score? The Father, like, sets this all straight He could have easily said, you know, you know what, son? You just go ahead and keep score. But just please get out of my face. But he goes out. And he actually, he actually sets him straight as to what's right. It says in verse 31, he said to him, son, you want to talk about it? like always? Like you're always with me and all that I have is yours. But it was the right thing. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and it's found. It may be hard for you, but it's right. It may be tough, but it's good. And your path to seeing the goodness of the Father's welcome to prodigal may be eyes open to a new aspect of how much your Father loves. And maybe just maybe you get a window into seeing how much he loves you. What would be sad is even after the father came out, you still go, I'm not going into the party. Have you in some ways taken on the older brother? It's tempting. Like the older brother's points in here are clear to me. What guards my heart so that I don't walk that way? How do I grow in appreciation of that? Last question, and it's not on the screen, and it really isn't counterfactual because Jesus intentionally does not resolve the story. My question kind of is like, okay, what if the brother had had, the older brother had had a heart change? And I think the picture would be two sons singing how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. But then again, what if the what if the older brother doesn't change? Oh, he stays. But what if his heart doesn't change? My guess is further and further and further and further distance from the father. More and more disconnect with the household. Go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, and I want you to listen again to why Jesus told this story. It says in verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Can we pray? Father, I thank you that your son gave us such a picture of how you move toward prodigals who never should have left but did, and older brothers who never should have been bitter but have become bitter. I'm thankful that there's no one excluded from your grace today. I'm grateful that we all can come back to the Father today. So, Lord, decimate whatever would keep us from coming back to you. Take all of the excuses away, all of our pride away. May we see our Savior Jesus more clearly. and May we see your love for us more clearly. And may your Spirit do a deeper work than ever before so that we have the fruit of the Spirit, love being shown in all of our lives. So, Lord, thank you for this story that Jesus told. That leaves us with some pretty major questions. Cement the truth of it in our hearts. We thank you, most of all, for the work that our Savior did so that we could come running home to you. We ask all this in his name. Amen.